Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. The sermon that I'm going to bring today... um, the message I'm bringing today, the message I'm bringing next week, have been about, um, oh, about uh, five weeks or so, kind of in the oven baking. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's uh, burnt uh, today, uh, but I'd say it's ready to be preached. Um, and uh, it's it's been a, a burning desire in me as a pastor to, to challenge uh, our church uh, to this. And so I hope that you'll bear with me. When I sat down to write this week, uh, I realized that I couldn't cover the whole text in one message, so uh, part two will be next week, and we'll just get into part one today. Uh, I believe uh, for our church, I, I believe the mission of our church, I believe it's the mission of the New Testament, is to make disciples of all people for the glory of God. That's why we exist. That's why we are here right now, to make disciples of all people for God's glory. Uh, anything else is uh, anything else is outside, I think, of the realm of what the New Testament calls us to. And so we make disciples, we equip disciples to make disciples. Uh, we equip husbands and wives and parents and single adults and grandparents. We equip uh, teenagers and children to be disciples to make disciples. That's why we exist. Um, and that's why that's what I believe our salvation is. Uh, is the culmination of our salvation. As we continue in the uh, the Gospel of Mark today, it's a book that we began last January, and uh, we continue it this January, and we'll be uh, we'll probably be in this uh, for the majority of the year uh, as well. At the end of November, we took a break, and uh, we jumped into our Advent series on the emotional life of Christ, and uh, now. Uh, we pick back up where we left, and we kind of left the, uh, the 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 we left the Savior and the disciples kind of uh, on the side of the road, heading to Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a city about 25 miles north of Galilee, and uh, that's where that's where Jesus and the disciples were heading uh, when we uh, discovered a question that Christ asked, uh, a question that is a an important question, the most important of questions. And uh, we saw that in Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 31. I'll give you a little quick review of that today uh, by way of introduction. We saw in Mark 8, 27, we saw these words. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. And he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Peter answereth and saith unto him, Thou art the Christ. Thou art the Christ. If you recall, following this moment, Jesus had given the disciples, you can see it in verse 30, a command to tell nobody. Don't tell anybody what you've confessed about me. He charged them in verse 30 that they should tell no man of him. And then in verse 31, Jesus began to teach them about his future, about what's coming. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes 
and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. This is the context for where we're going today and next Sunday, because this revealed that as Jesus communicated to them of these musts, maybe you remember that from when we were in that message, the the must of, you must understand the love of God. There's a, a global must. There's a salvific a must of Christ dying to save us. So these reasons why Jesus must die, and Peter's uncomfortable with it. Peter begins to rebuke him. Interestingly, right? Uh, to rebuke the Savior. Which then caused Jesus to rebuke Peter. And in Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark 8, it's the rebuke speaks to the truth that Jesus as the King, right? That's what they were saying about him. Now stay with me because we're, we're kind of laying the foundation for the house that we're building. Jesus had said to them, when they confessed that he was the Christ, they were saying, you are the king. You are the anointed one. You are the Messiah. And when Peter rebukes Jesus, his rebuke is because they want a king without a cross. They want a Messiah who's not going to suffer or is going to remove their suffering. And Jesus rebukes him because What they need in this king is they need his cross. What they need from the Christ is they need the suffering. What they need from this person who they have confessed, you are the Christ, they need his death and resurrection. And for Peter and for the disciples, they have a different idea of what the plan should be with Jesus. And so the rebuke by Christ to Peter indicates that their view of Christ is not God's view. What they saw of Christ was not what they needed to see of Christ. In fact, in this rebuke, Peter is referred to in a similar framework as Satan. You see that in verse 33 of Mark 8. When he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter saying, Get thee behind me, Satan! For thou savest not the things that be of God, the things that be of men. The rebuke of Peter was not that he didn't love Jesus, but that his view of Jesus was wrong. Because Peter didn't savor the things of God. Jesus said, you savor the things of men. The idea here of savoring is to set one's mind on the interests of, whether it's the interests of man or the interests of God, Peter is told by Christ, your mind is not set on the things of God. Your mind is set on you. And your mind is set on, you savor what men would savor. And so in this Mark 8 narrative here, Jesus rebuking them, it was, it was saying to Peter, you're trying to do the same thing Satan tried to do when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. You're trying to get me, Peter, to be the Savior you think I should be. But not the Savior that God sent me to be. And I must consider, and I have, to be honest with you, I don't say that in a pretentious way. I have, I have stopped this week in preparation to consider about how my mind is often on the things of men 
my thinking, my mentality, and I ask you to join me in that consideration. As we begin this new year, is our mind on savoring the things of God or on the things of men? How much of my view of Christ the King and His kingdom, His mission, His gospel is wrong because my mind is so filled with me and my and mine and culture and 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 and, 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 and errant philosophies that I cannot set my mind on the things of God. And I ask you this morning to be spiritually and intellectually honest. Do you savor the things of men over the things of God? But here's the thing about Jesus. He told them that he must, must die. He must. And if that's going to happen to Jesus, if that's going to happen to our king, then what happens to me? What happens to me? And I reminded you five weeks ago that a wrong view of Jesus' kingship leads to a wrong view of our discipleship. A wrong view of Jesus' kingship leads to a wrong view of our discipleship. And that leads us into our text today. Now that you might join with Peter and you might confess who Jesus is, Jesus is going to tell you when you confess that he is the Christ, when you confess that, when you, when you join with the apostles and say Christ is king, here's what it means for your life. Here's what it means. And I ask you, do you believe that, do you believe, have you confessed like Peter that Jesus is the Christ? Do you see Jesus as the king? And as we're going to find out, it is insufficient. Hear me. It is insufficient to just give lip service to this king. It's insufficient. It's insufficient to just say Jesus is the king because Jesus hasn't left it there. He invites us. He invites us to the true life that is lived as a follower of the king. In Mark 8, verses 34 through 38, Jesus invites us to be followers of our King. That's the theme. That's on your calendar that you've taken home or that you're taking home today. It says it on there, following our King. What does that mean? I want to read the text with you this morning, and then we'll jump right into the first part of it. Would you look with me at Mark 8 and look at verse 34. And when he called the people unto him with his disciples also, he saith unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory 
of his Father with the holy angels. That's God's word. I started the message in preparation by taking the, the there's four times we see the word whosoever, but the three themes that, der, that are derived from, the, from these whosoevers. Today we're going to start with just the first one because I think it's sufficient. And I'm simply going to start with whosoever follows. Whosoever follows. In the text, there's a crowd present here along with the disciples. Jesus calls them to himself. And Jesus extends the invitation to both the disciples, it seems, and the crowd. When he called the people unto him with his disciples also. And he said unto all them, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is, this is a sobering invitation. I hope you felt the weight of it. You got to let it sit on you spiritually for you and I to grasp everything Jesus is saying here. Juxtapose this moment with the joy and the discoveries the disciples had made that this is the Christ, this is the King, this is the Messiah. They confess that, they believe this, but they learn, they learn then of his sufferings, of his death, of his resurrection which makes no sense to them. To now, then Peter's rebuked, and you can imagine that moment. Now there's, a, there, there's this rebuking, and then Jesus calls people to him, and he tells them that there's a cost. There's a cost to their own discipleship. And I want to be clear. I don't want you to miss this. I hope you get it through the whole message today. Christian, there is a cost to discipleship. There's a cost. Get it now. Get it daily. There's a cost. Here in Mark 8, Jesus extends the invitation to come after Him. To follow Him. And now you may recall, Jesus had already provided an initial invitation. We saw that in Mark 1 when Jesus calls Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, the, the call that we're often most familiar with. Follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. You see that there in your handout? In Mark 1, 16, 18. In Mark 2, we saw the call to Levi and Matthew, the, the tax collector, to follow me. And, and Levi left and, and he arose and followed Jesus. We saw that one in John chapter 1. We see the call of Philip. When John 1.43, the call to Philip is follow me. The initial call to, to follow the rabbi, to follow the teacher, to follow this, this, this leader. And the call to follow Jesus was significant in the early days of his ministry. And the significance is for multiple reasons, but let me remind you of something I've already said many times in the, in the series. In, 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 in first century Judaism, the, the students didn't, the, the, the rabbi didn't pick the students. The students found the rabbi they wanted to follow and they picked the rabbi. But Jesus is the rabbi who comes and he calls people to follow him. Seems so counter what was normal in that day. And there's a good reason to believe that these that followed him, these that left their fishing business, their, their tax collector business, the other businesses that they had, 
they left not having a full understanding of who Jesus was. Not having a full understanding of what he was about. Not fully grasping what he was going to accomplish. Do you remember in, in, in Mark 4, we, we keyed so much on that phrase. When, when Jesus calms the storm, the disciples are more afraid of Jesus calming the storm than they were of the storm. And they say, what manner of man is this? Who is this guy? They don't have a full understanding. Well, now they've confessed. You, Lord, you are the Christ. The question is now that they know who Jesus really is, now that they know that this king has a cross, will they still follow? That's that's the context. Now that you know that Jesus is going to suffer, that he's going to die, that he's going to He's going to rise again. And you that follow Him are going to be a part of that suffering in some way. Will you still follow? That's that's the context. And so we have to consider it even for ourselves. When we understand, when we understand that the gospel that we've believed is not just a gospel that gives us Streets of gold one day, but the gospel also calls us to follow Jesus today. Are we willing? Are we willing to pay the price? I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, is it possible to do discipleship wrongly? Is it possible to follow Jesus in a wrong way? Because in this day, we would say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus the way I want to follow Jesus. You don't get to tell me how to do that. Can we follow Jesus wrongly? I want to direct your attention to Luke chapter 9, because there in Luke 9, we see barriers to our discipleship. Three of them, actually. And we need to be honest that each of these often are barriers in our life. There are barriers in our life to discipleship. Can we do discipleship wrongly? I think we can have barriers in our discipleship that are given here in Luke chapter 9. The first one, and we're going to look at 57, verse 57 all the way through verse 62. These three barriers are laid out. You, you won't be surprised by them. The first one is the barrier of comfort. Of comfort. Look at Luke 9, 57. Three different people come into Jesus. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Matthew 8.19 speaks to the same point of this young man who's a scribe. Jesus reminds this young man, this scribe, as Matthew calls him, that discipleship is not a pursuit of comfort. Jesus is like, listen, You can follow me. You can say you're going to follow me, but I'm not staying at Marriott tonight. Right? This is not about comfort. You follow me. I don't even have a place to put my head down. I don't, this, you follow me. You need to know that this was never about comfort. (laughs) If you signed up for this to get comfort, you signed up for the wrong deal. And Jesus makes clear that a barrier is often that of comfort. We desire comfort. And by the way, we do desire comfort. We do. 
I was on a, I was on online yesterday buying some airplane tickets for my wife and I, our 20th wedding anniversary. It's not till August, so save your odds. We still got, we got six months to go here. And I am that guy that I care very much where I sit on the airplane. Cause comfort matters. Right? No middle seats for me. No window seats for me. I can't be squished in by people. Only aisles for this guy. Why? Because I care about my comfort. When it comes to discipleship, comfort is a barrier. It's a barrier. Jesus reminds this young man. And by the way, can I just remind you? Jesus is not anti-comfort. He doesn't require us to afflict ourselves. He doesn't make you go outside tonight and sleep on a sidewalk. That's not what the point of this is. People misapply that. The point is that many who want to follow Jesus are unable to be faithful disciples because they care more about comfort than they do about discipleship. They care more about comfort. Don't push me, don't, don't, don't pressure me, don't, don't ask me to do more than what I'm doing. Comfort is king, not Jesus. And Jesus says to this young scribe, if you're looking for a comfortable rabbi, I'm not that guy. He gives another barrier in verse 59 of Luke 9 when another comes to him and he said to him, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go home, to go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now this is, this is often a problematic text for many. Let, let me simplify this for you. This is not about a funeral service. In Jewish culture, in Jewish culture, the language of let, of, of, of let me go home and bury my father is, let me go home and wait until after my father dies, and then I can have my inheritance. And when I have my inheritance, Lord, I'll come back and follow you. What was the, what was the barrier? Security. Security. I'll follow you, Jesus, if, if I'm secure. If I, if I, if I, if I have the financial security, the emotional security, the, 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 the practical relational security. And so we think, well, I've got to get things in order so that I can follow Jesus. If I'm more secure in my life, then I'll be a better disciple of Jesus. But Jesus says, actually, that's a barrier to discipleship. It's a barrier. The third barrier is that of a divided focus, a divided heart, you might even say. In Luke 9.61, a third and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first go bid them farewell there at home at my house. And Jesus said to them, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The third situation, briefly, is, is the, 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 the barriers that of our attention is divided, but more, more, I think, appropriate to the text is we have divided passions. We have a divided passion. What do we mean by that? We have a, we have an affection for let me have this and also follow Jesus. Jesus reminds us that there's a, that there's a only, the only way to really truly be fit to, to live in step with the kingdom of God is to keep your hand on the plow and only go forward with Christ. A divided attention a divided heart is a divided is is a barrier to discipleship. What we mean by that, and what I believe Jesus means by that, 
is trying to live on both sides of the kingdoms. Trying to follow Jesus as king while also trying to deal with and keep happy the kings of culture and of family and of difference and of society and of politics and of this, that, and the other. All of these other kings become superior to King Jesus. And we have a divided focus. That might be really appropriate for us to kind of store for later on in 2024. We have one king. One. To live with a divided focus is a barrier to discipleship. And so when we think about, the, we're trying to answer the question, can we do discipleship wrongly? Well, we can if comfort is king. If security is king, by the way, if you live in a nice, comfortable place, wonderful. God's graciously blessed you. But that is not to be your focus. If God's blessed you with a good job and you, you feel like, man, you're, you're doing okay financially, wonderful. Not everybody's there. But regardless of whether you're there or not there, that should not be the driving focus of a disciple of Christ. We also have to ask the hard question about whether our, our allegiance is divided. Those are the ways that we do discipleship wrongly, if you will. So, let's store Luke 9 for a little bit later as well. I, I want to take us back into Mark 8, and I just, I want you to see the words of Jesus, and I want you to wrestle with them. I, I want to think, the best today and to assume that deep down every Christian in the room wants to be a faithful disciple of Christ. I, I want as a pastor to, to think the best. I hope that you think the best and, and think in encouraging terms. I, I hope that that's our heart. I think what often is the case is for the average Christian, they don't know what that looks like to be a disciple of Christ. They just don't know what that looks like. How do I, how does that leave this room with me? Secondly, the average Christian has never counted the cost. They bought in on a get out of hell free card. That's what they bought in on. And you know what happens? They look at a text like this and say, I didn't know I was signing up for that. I just, I just wanted, I just wanted heaven. I didn't know that, that it was going to be this. And I believe, if you ask me, if you press me, I believe that every Christian has the choice to be a faithful follower of Christ. I believe that. I believe the choice is presented to you. The invitation is given today. And you're going to have to answer to Jesus over that. You don't answer to me for it. You don't answer to me. But I want you to see the three steps that Jesus gives in Mark 8. And by the way, next week we build on it. So come back. The first step that Jesus gives is deny yourself. Deny yourself. We, we find this conversation in Matthew and Luke as well when Jesus says in Matthew 16, then Jesus said to the disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. In Luke 9, he said unto them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. 
The, the, the theme here is repeated in the New Testament by Jesus to deny ourselves. The, the principle of the action is found in the meaning of deny. It means to disown. To disown. Deny isn't to say, no, thank you. I'll, I, I don't want soda. I'll take the water. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying to deny yourself, literally in the Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, to disown yourself. The same word is used when Peter denied Christ in John 13. To deny Peter, what did he do in denying Christ? He disowned Christ. When a person comes to Christ in faith, they deny their own righteousness as a standard for salvation. They deny their own good works or their religious efforts. Denying self is the beginning aspect of a Christian's new life. When you came to Christ in faith, you denied any goodness in you to merit salvation. And in discipleship, self-denial is a key aspect. And again, I'm not talking about the self-denial that kept you from the ice cream last night. There's no place in this world for that kind of self-denial, all right? Be clear. This kind of self-denial goes deeper than just that surface. Jesus is talking about denying one's self and the selfish ambition, denying self-reliance, denying the former way of an unbeliever, denying self to turn away from idols like the Christians in Thessalonica and 1 Thessalonica 1 when they turned to God from idols. To deny yourself is to turn away from the old self, the unbelieving, unregenerate, unredeemed, unsaved you, and all that that you cared about. That's what Jesus is saying. Deny yourself. Turning from lies of culture, old habits of your sinful flesh, no longer excusing issues of anger, lust, greed, hatred, and so on. Self-denial, the necessary self-denial of effective fellowship with Jesus. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. Because for many, they say they love Jesus. But denying themselves, denying their selfishness with their own time, they're not willing to do that. They're not willing to deny their, their being consumed with money and resources and spiritual, you know, blessings and this and that. And they're not willing to just have Jesus. This kind of self-denial is off the table. Serving in their church isn't an option. Being faithful to gather with the body of Christ isn't an option. Being accountable is not an option. There's an unwillingness in our culture to deny ourselves. We have to wrestle with that. Jesus says, you want to follow me? Deny yourself. As we look at Christ... We consider His humanity and divinity. We recall His willingness to deny Himself in the Garden of Gethsemane. He denied Himself humanly to go to the cross. He calls us to the same. He calls us, if you want to follow Him, take up your cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross. Secondly, take up your cross. He says there in Matthew, in Mark 8, Matthew 16, Luke 9, take up your cross. In Luke 9, He says, take up His cross daily. Jesus' point was that those who desire to be His disciples rather than seeking prosperity and ease, must be willing to endure 
persecution, rejection, hardship, and even martyrdom for his sake. To follow Christ was to embark on a path of adversity, possible maltreatment. And the Lord explained that to his disciples in John 15. In verse 18, he said, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Why are you surprised when it hates you? i got to be honest, okay? Not everybody in here is going to die as a martyr. (laughs) But every faithful follower of Jesus will love Christ so fully that even death is not too high a price for eternal joy. And all believers inevitably will suffer to some degree because the world hates those who belong to King Jesus. You just need to be resigned to that. The world hates those that belong to King Jesus. To take up your cross is a metaphor for being willing to pay any price for the glorious gift of enjoying Jesus for all eternity. Starting now. Take up your cross. That goes back to the cost. Deny ourselves. Are we willing to pay any price to follow Jesus? And the third and final part of that verse is that just that. It is to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and to follow Him. To follow Jesus. He said that. Whoever will come after me, deny, take up, and follow. This following, let me just say this, clarify this for you. This following is not a loose term of being a Christian. There's a couple terms that I, that I, 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 I would really love for us to um, kind of grab a hold of once again and be truly biblical with them. Um, when somebody says that they're a person of faith, that means nothing. It, that doesn't mean anything. Um, but other, the other just means that they have faith, which I believe every person has faith. What matters most is the object of that faith. The second statement I would encourage you is the the term that we say so loosely, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because I don't think we, we, we grasp what comes with that statement. What comes with that statement when I say I'm a follower of Jesus is I'm willing to deny myself. I am willing to take up my cross. And I'm willing to do and go whatever he tells me to do and go. That's the question. You might say, well, I'm saved, okay. But to be a follower of Jesus is more than just knowing that you're going to be with him in glory. Discipleship is a choice. It's a choice to follow Christ your king. Discipleship is a choice to have no other king no other Lord, no other master, no other shepherd. As, as the sheep hears the voice of the shepherd, so disciples follow the voice of Christ. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Those who claim to be followers of the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, they truly follow Jesus. And Jesus considers following him 
following his words, following his teaching, following his way of life, living for his kingdom, living for the gospel. This is the way of genuine discipleship. And I am 41, going to be 42 here in just a few weeks. I've been in church all my life. I've been saved for 37 of those years. And, and, and almost now 20 years of vocational ministry, I would say the rub is this for Christians. Right here, here's the rub. Many want Jesus to get heaven in eternity. Few want Jesus to have heaven on earth. That's the rub. Because to have the, to have the, the first part of that, you place your faith in Jesus and Christ, Christ will save your soul. But if you want the second part of that, it's going to take you denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus. That's what it's going to take to enjoy the life that God has actually called you to have. See, the Christian life doesn't begin when you breathe your last breath. The gospel was efficacious. It was effective in your life. The moment you came to Christ and you now have a choice to follow Him, and you get heaven on earth as a follower of Jesus, as a true follower of Jesus. You, you deny yourself. You don't lose, you don't lose anything. You gain. You don't, you don't lose what you really need. You gain what you really need. That's the point of Mark 8. The question for us is, are we ready, willing to follow our King? The implication of every part of this text appears negative on the surface. The idea of denying ourselves, the, de- the idea of taking up a cross, it, it feels negative, right? It feels like you came to church on the first Sunday of the new year to get hyped up by your spiritual, you know, Tony Robbins here, but that's not why you're here. All right? It's not why you're here. We need, we need to make a choice. Are we going to follow our king? That's the choice. And the negative is actually not, the, the, the appearance of a negative is not what it is. The casual observer in this is robbed of, of grasping that Jesus is beginning to tell you that there's a life that you'll lose, but you're going to gain a greater life. You're going to gain a greater life. Considering that Christ as God would never call us to something that is not legitimately best for us, as we'll see next week. Considering this passage in our discipleship, I want to to encourage you to consider these these final three statements. And I'll be pretty, pretty brief on this. Number one. The invitation to discipleship has a great cost. Rejecting rejecting the invitation has a greater cost. The invitation has a great cost. Rejecting the invitation has a greater cost. Hear me very carefully. Let me clarify. I'm not speaking of the invitation to salvation. I'm saying to the Christian in here, the invitation to be a disciple has a great cost. Rejecting that has a greater cost. 
I have to join with Bonhoeffer and agree that when he wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he argued that we have cheap discipleship because we have a very cheap view of grace. We have a cheap view of discipleship. Remember when we talk about Bonhoeffer, we're talking about a man who was martyred in Nazi Germany. So no cheap discipleship there. And he said the reason we have cheap discipleship is because we have a cheap view of grace. A high view of grace leads to a high view of discipleship. Which knows, we know that as disciples, it will cost us something to follow Jesus. And if you're trying to move away from a cost-nothing Christ, then you've not considered the cross very much. So the invitation is there, and you have to consider. To do nothing, though, has a cost. And I believe Jesus says in Mark 8, a greater cost. In some ways, in some ways, a cost that is far greater than we would ever really be willing to pay if we knew. But in following, in following Christ, truly following Christ, we receive of the abundance of Christ. It's why we can stand up here and truthfully say, without any, without any hat, uh, you know, uh, magic tricks to fool you with hats and, and, and illusions, that Jesus is enough. To say that Jesus is enough literally means that Jesus is enough. But you must be willing to pay the cost to enjoy the enoughness of Jesus. Secondly, disciples take seriously their discipleship. Now maybe you're sitting in here today and you'd say, oh no, 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 pastor, I have, I have, I am, I, I, I am a disciple. I have, I am, I would have no problem saying Christ is my king. I am following him. I will go anywhere you want me to go. Lord, I'll go with you. Let me just remind you that disciples take seriously their discipleship. Really, this point stands without much commentary. <laughs> because the text said, you want to follow me? Here's how seriously you have to take discipleship. Deny yourself. Daily, Jesus says in Luke. Daily. Take up your cross daily. In the Greek, he's tying those, those two, two things together. Do these things daily. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. And follow me daily. I, I just I, I want to ask you, those of you who would join and say, I by God's grace, I am a disciple of Christ. Okay, wonderful, praise God. Is everything on the table? Is everything on the table? When I was a kid, we used to sing that song. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me. Whatever, whatever happens, still I will follow. Disciples take seriously their discipleship. Thirdly and lastly, I have, there's my caution. Deci- because here's, before we put this point up, let me just give you the caution really quickly. Don't miss this. I, I know that there's a way to make discipleship legalistic. Because here's what can dangerously happen in a church. I'm denying myself, but you're not. 
I'm taking up my cross daily, but you're not. I'm doing it, but you're not. And now it's my discipleship versus your discipleship, and Jesus hasn't called us to do that. That's not part of the discipleship rhythm. So let's remember number three as we walk out. Discipleship, not motivated by love, is just religion. Discipleship not motivated by love is just religion. Hear me. I am thankful for many of you that genuinely love me. Let me I'm, I'm, bear with me. But please don't do all these things because you might love me, but because you love Jesus. Because you love Jesus. Because you love his gospel. Because you love his church. Because you love his mission because you love him. That's the motivator. That's the motivator. My friend Carrie Schmidt says, if we try to go forward in any way other than by love, we go forward the wrong way. We go forward the wrong way. Why would we deny ourselves? Why? And not be mad about it? Because we love Jesus. Why would we take up our cross daily? Because we love Jesus. Why would we follow Him? Why? Why are we here today? Why would we give? Think about it. Why would we give like we give and serve like we serve and and, and commit to a group like we commit our time and and stay in fellowship after church with one another and do all these things? Why? Because we love Jesus. That's the only reason that's sustainable. It's the only sustainable reason for, for discipleship is I love Jesus. Now, I'm not going to be that guy because I've been in church with that guy who says, some of y'all just don't love Jesus that much. That's not my, my story to talk about, okay? My question to you is, if you love Jesus, like you say you do, then consider your discipleship. Consider can I ask you to consider it in this sense? If you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I have, I'm making that covenant, then that discipleship covenant makes disciples. It makes disciples. Now, none of this is the way to Christ. None of this is the way to salvation. Because you, you can love Jesus all you want, and that love won't save you. You can deny yourself all you want and denying yourself won't save you. And taking up your cross won't save you. And if I may even say so, following Jesus as a standard won't save you. How do you come to Christ? You believe on Him. You believe on Christ. Can I ask you, has there been a time in your life, a moment, a day, a church service, an evening at home, a morning before things were moving in your home when you made the decision that Jesus Christ would be your Savior? Has there been that moment? If there's never been that moment, discipleship is not your first conclusion. You have to make the choice about whether Christ will be your Savior. 
If you're here today and you say, I don't know Christ as my Savior. I don't know where I'd spend eternity. I don't know. Here's what, I, here's what I'll tell you. The Bible tells you that you can know. You can know. And if you'd like to know, don't leave without getting that question answered. We'll have a pastor down front, a deacon down front. I, as a pastor, will be out this way. We'd love to take God's word and show you how you can know that Christ is your Savior. Christian in this room, Christian of Ravens of Baptist, you make the choice today. Are you willing to follow Jesus? Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.